0: welcome to a special presentation of the intermediate line podcast i'm your host chris adams and i will be irregularly recording conversations with some of my favorite fly tires from around the world sit back as we go a bit beyond face value and chat about the why and the how of some great flies brought to you by nervous water Ketterfly apparel and australian made beast brushes please enjoy the show All right, thanks for joining us, listeners, for another episode of The Intermediate Advice. And I'm joined here with my friend, uh, Brandon Bales, and Brandon is from Alabama in the U.S. of A. How you going, Brandon?
1: Good, good. Thanks for having me, man. It's
0: been a yeah. long time coming. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we've we've known each other for a while on, um, on social media and stuff and uh, spoken a lot, but uh, never spoken before. So this is a real treat for me, and I really do appreciate you making the time. Oh, yeah. Yeah,
1: I'm glad to be here a treat for me as well
0: yeah yeah um mate i think uh what i'd like to do your your page on instagram um and your social media on facebook wherever it is so so layered and so so checkered but uh listeners of this show will know that uh i'm very uh very fishing based when it comes to flies very pragmatic in my approach and i and i feel like you are too so i wanted to um is that fair enough do you think is that how you would um consider yourself
1: yeah yeah absolutely that's uh that's perfect comparison i mean that's uh that's the way i sort of approach you know all my fly tying and fly designing
2: Mm.
0: i I wanted to before we got into that um i wanted to sort of highlight your fishing a, a little bit you know and um and from what i can see uh on your social media and such is that uh you know it's it's a lot of it is there's a little bit of salt in there which we'll get into i've got plans to get into that later on the podcast but for now i wanted to um just discuss a little bit and maybe make some comparisons between what we do over here perhaps uh, about what your main style of fishing is which seems to be um the freshwater aspect and, and in particular smallmouth
1: bass right yeah yeah that's right uh, that's uh that's sort of the main, um, we have, well, we have a couple of different bass species, um, you know, within, you know, minutes of my house, but um, the smallmouth is sort of like the, um, I guess you could say like the brown trout of the bass world uh, right. over here. So it's, it's sort of the, you know, that's, that's the unicorn that everybody's, uh, that everybody chases.
0: mm. Okay, so um, so you've got so that's the okay, so that's the main target, but you've got um, a range. I believe um, you've got uh, a species of um, of is it largemouth or even that's a rare one, like a rock bass or someone's got a red eye. It's a rare one in your area. Is that is that
1: does that so, ring a bill? Yeah, we so there's um, it always gets confusing because there's a um, there's a panfish or sunfish that is that that's called a rock bass and it ha- and it's notable feature is like a big giant red has red eyes really big eyes some people have the nickname goggle eyes because they're just huge um mm. but also there is a in the black bass family we have a really um unique native bass uh, actually there's several of them within this family but the they're truly uh red eye bass and they've and i know i know exactly what you're talking about you've probably seen the pictures um they've got the really turquoise belly and they've got turquoise um coloration around their eyelid um, this is the this, this is the panfish and that, no this is this is the actual black bass oh is dust. it okay yeah yeah and they uh they don't get very big. I mean, they're about the size of a lot of panfish or you know sunfish. Um, yep. You know, so for the for the true black bass species, red eye bass, um, a trophy is twelve inches, thirteen inches. I mean, it's okay. and they live in really high gradient, like um, uh, s- mountain streams. It's water that's. Uh, That's too warm to sustain trout life but also um and it's a little too high elevation for smallmouth and that so you've got these really unique um black bass that are only found really in the state of alabama and there's uh i think maybe let's see tennessee and south carolina so you've got like maybe Two other states that have a very scattered population of those those little fish. Mm.
2: Uh,
0: so when when we're looking at your flies that you tie, um, we're relating this to to rivers and 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 creeks, uh, no, no lakes or anything like that.
1: No, I mean there's there's definitely I have lakes, um, you know, around there's uh, actually where they have some of the biggest. Um, bass fishing tournaments, uh, is Lake Gunnersville, which is about 30 minutes sort of Southeast of me. But, um, yeah, I just, I mean, they're really cool to kayak and, and, you know, I'll occasionally fish there, but yeah, I, I like the, I like moving water. I like, you know, constantly being on the move and if I can be on foot even better, that's what I do. Most of my fishing is, is on foot. Mm.
0: Yeah, that's, I mean, that's, that's, uh, I mean, put, put, um, that's got its own set of challenges. I mean, fly fishing has got its own set of challenges, but, uh, but the fishing tight creeks, um, and, and put deer hair flies into the equation as well. I mean, oh, yeah. that's, um, that's a challenging type of fishing. That's for sure. Um, okay. I think there's, I think there's a lot of guys that could probably relate, um, over here to, to that sort of stuff. We have, um, we have our own bass over here as well, Australian bass, uh, it it seems to be that they're maybe a little bit more of a um, a warm water species in comparison. Although I'm just I, I knew during this podcast I should have had a table of comparison between Fahrenheit and Celsius before I started, but I don't. Yeah. <laughs> but <Yeah>. um, <laughs> but uh, I know that they can't. They they will range um, naturally uh, in probably subtropical regions. I guess you could say in in Australia they're um they're um, a fish they're a fish that requires um certain parts per million of of salt or a certain degree of salinity to breed so they've got a, they're a coastal freshwater fish i guess you could say um, oh. yeah but they but you'll find them in pretty uh pretty similar looking rivers to what i've seen you walking around in like quite quite overgrown uh dense dense vegetation all that sort of stuff um oh. similar sort of width and dense um uh, depth looking looking stuff And and i'm generalizing because all i'm doing is just looking at your instagram page to to assume yep. this i guess but yeah um but one thing the biggest comparison i think that most people find interesting in, in relation to this podcast is the fact that a lot of the flies that you tie um could easily be used for australian bass without changing anything at all okay yeah so it's um so that's that's pretty interesting i think that's a, that's a pretty good foundation to get to get going into the into the fly tying yep. aspect with it but um uh, and I suppose while we're leading into that and when we're talking about your page, you know, um, there's some awesome work on your page there uh, for your, for your fly time.
2: Appreciate and,
0: it. Yeah. And, and fishing for that matter, that's for sure. But, um, I guess, um, one of the questions I like to ask people that that are so proficient in, in deer hair is that, uh, well, I can see that you're a sucker for deer hair like myself, like many people are, but, uh, I'd be interested to know that, uh, why did you put yourself through learning? that torture when foam is arguably easier.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. I get that. Uh, you, you wouldn't, I couldn't even explain how many times, uh, uh, people asked me that at shows or, or demos. One of the funniest ones, just a quick little story before I answer, but there was, Mm -hmm. I was doing a demo at a show. It was pre-COVID, so probably three years ago. And so we're, you know, we're, we're sort of assigned, um, uh, a table to to tie from and uh wouldn't you know the guy beside me was uh was tying nothing and he did a really good job nothing wrong with tying with foam but the guy was tying foam bugs you know top water bugs and then you've got me beside him running a vacuum cleaner between bugs <laughs> uh, You know, it's like you know i'm stacking hair and then trimming it and this guy's just you know he has a little bit of mess to clean up, but otherwise he's just cranking out flies. Um, you know, for me, and I've said this uh, many times, um, I've just, I've always been sort of a, uh, I guess you would say an old soul when it came to um, really a lot of aspects of my life, but really um, fly fishing itself. Um, you know, I, I don't even, and and there's, and these things I'm going to talk about, I have nothing against any of them, but um, I only, I don't even own a graphite fly rod. All I have is fiberglass rods. Um, I just, you know, that's, that appeals to me. I don't, I mean, other than my two, I've got two saltwater rods that have uh, reels with disc drag, but other than that, I just use, you know, hardy click paw reels and, Um, so the deer hair was sort of a natural, you know, it's like, man, that's what I used to see in my granddad and, you know, uh, my granddad's magazines or magazines I would see as a kid or even at like, I remember there's an old bait shop and, uh, you know, I can remember they would do these, uh, issues or they would have a section in the magazine about, um, fly fishing because it was mostly conventional fishing and, um, I, I just vividly remember seeing these images of guys throwing these deer hair bugs into lily pads, and you know, a big bass coming and and just you know, chomping down on a on a popping bug. So that uh, that sort of always was in the back of my mind um, whenever I really really got heavy into. To fly tying it's always been sort of warm water based um you know i do i don't do a lot of trout stuff um i'm just tell everybody i'm not that good at uh well i can't tie dry flies you know <laughs> anything it small it's like uh you know but i mean i think uh i think i've sent some some flies over your way to, for some type of calls um and i mean probably oh, that, compared that's to right. you guys uh, that was sorry i didn't mean to catch up. that was for our podcast
0: that was the um tro- the fire um that was for that's us right.
1: yeah. yeah exactly
0: bushfire appeal yeah. so yeah thanks for that brandon i think a lot of people would be appreciative that you that you uh contributed to that for sure
1: yeah uh, well what i was gonna say probably the bugs i sent to you guys were probably small but i mean i don't know i know you've tied some smaller bugs uh but um so yeah i mean i, I just uh, that's always been my niche has been uh Sort of the the warm water bass and and panfish, but um, you know I do chase trout occasionally. But um, I pretty much stay focused on on smallmouth and largemouth too. Um, so that, that's you know just sort of goes. I feel hand in hand. It's like you got a you got to tie uh, hair bugs in the in the winter time when the when the bass are laying low and hibernating just to the time because i if it was foam i would crank out a ton of foam bugs
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah i'm hearing you on the subject of the um of the of the small like the size of the uh, your deer hair bugs you know it's um you know like you're pushing the limits of of size with that and to, to to go about this a different way uh you're right i've tied some small ones too and and for the reason being i think is very similar uh, and we could take that right back to when we talked about the fishing aspect of it, and and I really don't want to hang on the fishing aspect of uh, of what you do in a fly tying podcast, but it's it's very important at the same time. The mm-hmm. small jaw um, uh, got a very similar size mouth to Australian bass, from what from what I can see, you know, um, yeah, okay. you know, and 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 I I don't know about you, but I've noticed that in a, in a for Australian bass, sometimes they can simply um, particularly with foam, which is the reason I appeal to the deer or one of the reasons I should say, but, but in relation to the fishing, they can push it out of the way, you know? And and if it's, if it's too big, that can be a really bad shot. Uh, I've noticed that, I don't know about smallmouth, but I've noticed that a, Australian bass will sometimes come out from a bank and hit it on the way back in as well. So they'll hit a bug straight on, if you know what I mean? So, mm-hmm. so, so if, um, if something's too big or riding too high or, um, or not big enough to fit in their mouth. They actually almost hit the leader first and, and knock it out of the way. Something that's yep. small, the size of you know your thumbnail or or a little bit bigger. Well, yours mm-hmm. are probably closer to the size of a thumbnail than mine. Um, you know, it's just it's just a. It, it's the deer hair still makes enough noise to, to to bring them out of that that timber or whatever they're sitting on rocks or whatever. But it's um it's 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 a it's a jelly bean for them. You know, it's it's not it's not a risk for them to make a decision to, 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 um, you know, to expose themselves near the surface to eat it. Uh, and it fits in re- really well. You know, I think, um, tying those small bugs is something that p- people over here could relate to, but it's a real, um, skill in itself, getting it r- right down small. I mean, for myself, for me to tie them, I've got to look at it and go and, and actually convince myself that it's not small enough. knowing full well, there's a lot of deer hair to come off. It's a, uh, after you put all that effort of packing all that hair on and, um and, and trimming it up to, to get close to that thread it can be a real heart and throat sort of stuff but it's um but it, it's it's definitely uh got its got its pluses that's for sure
1: yeah yeah exactly i mean that's pretty much you what you were saying you know um and that's another thing uh and i sort of learned the lesson you were just talking about the hard way is um for for a long time i um, would fish whenever I would. So let me go back. My just briefly. Whenever I do trout fish, a lot of times I do um, uh, night fishing, and it's you know I'm I'm throwing mice is what I'm throwing you know some type of rodent. Um, mm-hmm. And I learned <laughs> pretty bad one trip that uh, I was thinking like, oh, I'm going to make these out of, you know like a foam gurgler almost and uh you know i'll be able to just throw these all night well yeah i was able to throw that mouse all night but what i found was the foam it was almost like it you know it wasn't didn't have enough weight or heft to it that when it was sitting on top of the water and that brown would come up and just smack the fly it would do exactly what you'd say it would push it out of the way or just knock it you know flip it straight up in the air Mm. and uh, and so then switch to deer hair, and it's, you know, by the time it, you know, you cast it a while, it's going to absorb water, of course. So it almost has more of a, it sticks to the surface of the water better is the way I like to say it. And uh, it, I, I firmly believe that I have better hookups because of that, um, because you've got, the, it's almost, uh, you, know, you start dealing with surface tension then of this way, to, you know, a little bit heavier material sitting on top of the water that still can flow but it takes more to to move that out of the way when something comes up from underneath mm.
0: so. I, I agree i think that's the best way to put it that that sticks to the surface of the water you know I've, I've heard i've heard pat Cohen talk about uh you know a waterlogged fly i've had people over here tell me that um uh i've had one of my my fr- he's a friend of mine this guy so i'm and he's probably gonna listen so i'm not Trying to be derogative, but he he's told me that oh, your deer hair is too tight. It it sits too high. He's never fished one of mine, but he's um he's just looked at like that. Um, but some people will tie them quite loose for that reason as well. Uh, you know, but I think that um I personally I think that when you when you have to tie them loose so they sit in the surface better like that, they're too big. You know, like it um you can you can take more material away, and no, we- um, yeah, and and have it sit the the the, the oh, what what would you call it the height on the surface i suppose or the mm-hmm. the depth in the water that you want because you definitely yeah. want it to be sitting like you said sticking to the surface of the water like you're not sitting super high you want it to be half in half out or maybe maybe oh maybe, that's not probably not fair a little bit higher than half in half out but definitely in the in the water but up high yeah, absolutely yeah yeah,
1: yeah that's uh, that's my so the the fly, the deer hair bug that I tie the most um, is my. Well, I won't say my, but um, the, the I call it the finesse slider. It's sort of a. It's got tons of rubber legs, which you know I, I use that thing in clear, low water. I mean, pretty much any condition because it sits nice and nice and low the way I want it to, and it's. You know, if there's no current, if there's current, no big deal because it has tons of rubber legs sticking out everywhere. Um, but that's that's one of the main reasons that I shape the bottom of that fly the way I do, so it'll sit basically the the from the legs down is submerged underwater, and you know, and it, that's got a little bit of an angle to it because of the tail material.
2: Mm.
0: Yeah, no, I hear. It, um, and there's something that I, I want to run past you that I've noticed in my own fishing that uh, I don't see – it's it, it's very hard to translate into social media posts. Not many people would probably know about it unless they've seen it happen themselves. I have seen a video, which would be hard to get a video of trying to explain this example because it doesn't happen all the time. But I've noticed that some fish, like we've got the bass that I talked about here, but I've also we've got um, other freshwater fish that will eat topwater fish with all the sort of ferocity as well, and that's a barramundi, and also um, a Murray cod, which I don't know if you've heard of those species. But um, oh, yeah. yeah, both all of those species can be quite tentative some days with the way they eat top water. Some days they'll they'll launch clear of the water and and crash it, <clears throat> and those are those are epic eats. They're 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 incredible. Those are the ones that stick a still image in your mind while you're actually there for for the rest of your life. But some yeah. days, <laughs> some days they'll 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 what people probably assume. I'm, I'm missing it. And, um, and I don't think that's the case. And I wonder what your opinion of this, of this would be, but I, I believe that these fish, um, and there is a situation which, which validates this for me, which I'll explain later, but I believe these fish are almost, um, in a mood, so to speak, where they're not, they're not, uh, feeling aggressive enough to make themselves vulnerable in the surface of the water in, in saying that some of these bodies of water, the biggest predator these fish have got is birds and they're probably, although they're probably too big to be taken by a bird, they're probably not aware of it. So to pick something off the surface is exposing them, making themselves vulnerable to predators that they've probably just having grain to in them um, for the places they live. So they, they'll almost swipe it and look like they're rejecting it at the last minute, but I believe that they're, they're pulling the, the fly under and I've had fish eat it while they are pulling under. Now when you pull a deer hair fly under that's been tuned really well, um, it's going to sit under, and it's going to rise back to the surface quite slowly, um, as opposed to foam, which is just going to rock it back to the surface and almost break the surface of the water as it reaches the surface, like a submarine rising or something like that. But um, um, do you know what I mean? Like, it's. Um, I think that they're they're almost pulling it under to have a good look at it and then eat it, or potentially they'll pull it under and miss it and then hit it on surface after they've had a good look at it. Have you ever seen something like that happen?
1: Yeah, I've I've seen that happen. Um Many times, especially with smallmouth, and the the thing with the, I'll tell you what I've noticed a lot with smallmouth, and it, and I mean, there's definitely times you know it's sort of in their DNA that hey, there's predators above, and same thing here. I mean, you know the the basically the main predator for these bass are um, either birds, uh, some type of bird of prey, or um, uh, we have river otters, uh, which can wreak havoc on the fish population, but the river otters, you know, that's, that's a whole different subject. But yeah, I think it's, I think it is sort of programmed into them to do that. But also I had, when you were talking about that, it reminded me last year, I remember there was this one, one morning I went out and, uh, Usually late April into early May is when the most of the bass um, spawn lay their eggs and then you know the the male will hang around the bed for I mean anywhere from a couple of days up to two weeks and right after that period there's um, there's sort of a lull in the In the action, it's like you know they just sort of once they're done with that, they don't go immediately back to feeding to put trying to put weight on. They just sort of find a rock or a deep hole and go and sulk and recover for a few days. Um, And there have been there's this one day I went out and um, I had I I remember specifically I had eight eight different um, bass come and do exactly what you're talking about. Like they, they rose and it's like, they didn't even rise. It's like, as soon as the fly hit the water, I let the ripples dissipate. I might've twitched it once. Sometimes it's as soon as it was landed, but I would just see the side profile of the fish. Like they swapped at it, took it under. And I could never, just because of the, the way the, the stream is really small stream. Um, I could never get a good hook set. And uh, I just remember leaving that day so frustrated thinking like I was the worst fisherman ever because how do you lose eight big smallmouth in a row, you know? (laughs) Uh, But, but I think, but so I think it also, so here at least, yeah, one, it's predators, but two, um, I think it had to do with, they're, they were still in this like recovery mode. And it's like, uh, I'm thinking about eating something maybe a little bit of territory you know territorial action mm. that they just sort of it's like a half-hearted attempt to get something out of the way mm. um and like i said it's like they wouldn't fully they wouldn't fully eat it even once it was submerged it's like they would just almost like i'm gonna make sure this is dead before it flows back to the, <laughs> the top of the water you know yeah yeah yeah
0: absolutely no i i i, I, I firmly believe that and i don't think that gets covered quite a bit and i think it's a real advantage to to deer hair you know it's um it's definitely one of the things that that you know i'll persist with we we spoke a bit a bit of a tangent here but we spoke a bit before we before we started recording in regards to um you know tying faster flies to to get going um but i'll always persist with with deer hair for, for bass at least you know i think it's um i think it's an incredibly effective an incredibly effective fly i mean I would rather spend an hour on the vice tying a diver um, than than wasting four hours on the water for for missing or not getting an eat to start off with. You know, I yeah, think it's no, um, no. yeah. I, I mean, your time. I mean, your time like that can be very durable. I think in the past, well, at least it sounds like you've been around a lot longer than than I have. I don't have any. Family that that tied flies or had you know fishing mags around and stuff like that. Oh, in relation to fly fishing at least. So I mean, it was a, a first generation discovery for me seeing 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 Dalberg divers or deer hair divers and stuff. But uh, um, you know they've they've definitely come a long way as far uh, aesthetically and, and technique wise. Um, they are very durable now. You know, they used to be something that would be um, when I was introduced to them. You know, it'd be a couple of fish um you know we weren't really concerned about the type of deer hair that we used or or anything like that we used to i used to get told taught um to seal them up because they would it was a good indication of when the top water bite was over it was was the time that your darberg sunk you know because it was uh getting okay. too waterlogged yeah. Uh,
1: <laughs> so uh,
0: yeah so we dry them out overnight come get out there before the sun comes up bloop them away and by the time the sun was too high the top water bite was over and uh and that was a pretty good measure. But now, you know, I mean, the way you're tying them, the way you know, a few guys around the world tying them now, like they'll 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 literally float all day. You know, there's there's no way that water ingress will will um will see that's in sync anytime soon. So mm-hmm. it's um yeah, no, they're um they're they're definitely worth spending the time to tie, that's for sure.
1: Yeah, that's the thing. I mean, I've got a um it's funny, and my my sling pack that I wear when I'm waiting carry all my my boxes and all i've got a foam patch you know where you can dry draw your flies or whatever and i've kept um i have one of my sliders um actually funny i used it um last night i pulled uh, my son wanted to run over to um a small lake that's uh well it's a pond uh just down the street and it was getting it was around this time so it was getting close to dark and uh so i grabbed um my six weight and i just grabbed that bug off that patch of my sling pack and i caught i don't know this five or six large mouth um nothing big but i got to thinking i was like i've actually had this i, I went back to my phone and looked to see when i actually made the fly because i had some unique eyes that i don't carry anymore um and that fly, um, I don't know how I haven't lost it yet, but it's it's almost four years old. At the end of the summer, the fly will be four years old, and there's no telling how many fish it's caught. I mean, I've replaced the, the rubber legs um, at least twice. <laughs> um, still, I mean, it's like—and I've kept it in my sling pack just to, you know, if, if the bite's really good one day, um, and I just— I'm almost trying to see what will it take. You know, I don't want to lose the fly, but what? How many fish can it take before it's just not a uh, not usable anymore? <laughs> you know, it's mm-hmm. like that. That's, that's still, it's still rolling after almost four years. Um, so, uh, so yes, that de- you know deer is definitely um, durable. I even have some old ones that I was given. Um, uh, sort of, I collect different bass bugs and topwater bugs, and I've got some that are, I don't know, probably from the 70s, early 70s, mm-hmm. um, and they're, uh, you know, they're a little, little, the color's a little bleached out from the, no telling where they sat in the sun, but other than that, I mean, they're, you know, I, if I if I had to, I would, I would use them. <laughs>
0: Yeah. Wow. Well, okay. That's, I mean, that's pretty good. You would think that, like, a natural product would eventually break down, you know, um, biodegrade, so to speak. But yeah, I mean, I, I don't have them as old. I've got my oldest ones. I've probably got it, probably, I don't know, about 18, maybe 18 years old. Like some of my really first ones that I just don't want to throw out. Um, and they look they, they're as crispy as as a, as the day they were tied. That's definitely for sure. So uh, that makes sense what you're saying there. I, I, I don't don't doubt that at all. But it's um, it's, mm. it's amazing all the same. Oh, I know it is. Yeah, what would you consider to be some of the most important aspects of someone who, for someone who is learning to or looking to tie on take on tying deer hair? You know what? What would what would you? Is there any sort of blanket advice that you would give anyone?
1: You know the, um, and I'm I'm not an expert, but people, you know, they'll see stuff that I'm tying and they'll shoot me questions and. Honestly, the question I get more than anything is like, hey, you know, guys, it's like, hey, I've been trying to tie deer hair, but my, th- my thread keeps breaking or I'm cutting through the hair. And honestly, and that's what i struggled with for years is no one told me what was the best thread to use and how to use that thread. You know, mm-hmm. it's, you know, just like I do, if, it's cor- if you spin it and cord it up, it's going to cut like a knife straight through hair. Mm. Um, I wish that I would have known that a lot sooner. Um, even guys, you know, seem really surprised at shows when I'm tying a, a size eight, uh, hair bug. They're like, Hey, you know, what are you using? You know, uh, UTC 70, 140. I'm like, no, this is Vivas 200. Mm. And they're like, Oh, you're using that on that little hook. I'm like, yeah, you know, it's, <laughs> it's you know, I, but I tell them, like, hey, I can, but I can count how many thread wraps I have because, I, you know, there's not a lot of, I'm not going and just piling up a bunch of thread on the hook shank. Um, so it's minimal wraps and it's making sure that that thread is flat and you have good control over it. Um, that, honestly, that would have saved me probably uh, a year's worth of frustration when I first started dying with deer hair
0: yeah yeah no I, I agree it's uh, the thread is actually um, an interesting thing with that I've, I've um, been involved with discussions as well um, uh, I've I' I've, I don't I've done a few demos myself we just don't have the the circuit like you guys do but um, I've been asked there uh, online all that sort of account what what thread do you use and yeah I think a lot of people will be um, uh, amazed uh, once they've been shown it and, and know it and know what people use I mean I don't think it's that 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 surprising yeah um, but yeah, that, that um, I must admit, I was the same when I when I first knew that um, gel spun was was used for this purpose. Uh, it was a game changer for me as well. I um, I was previously using 210 flat wax nylon. Yep.
2: And um, yep.
0: but, <laughs> but when started. I, is that what you started with too? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, <laughs> but I was spinning. I, I used to spin um, deer hair, uh, it didn't matter if it was belly hair or body hair. Uh, to me, at the time, I, I just didn't know enough. I mean, I knew what I had access to at the time. Um, but yeah, once once um actually, I, I look, you know, full credit. I mean, I I discovered, well, learnt of that through what Pat Cohen was teaching, you know. Um, and um, and that changed it for me. But it, it's you would think that the gel spun would would cut the hair more, but like you said earlier, like how to use it is um is probably something worth worth discovering. Like, do you? you you just said that you came from a flat wax background and for me I, flat wax was always a good diverse thread to use because you could spin the bobbin and make it round or you could open it up and, and make it flat and um, yeah. I still do that with flat wax nylon depending on what part of the fly or the type of fly that I'm tying but I'll also do that with uh, with joss bun as well. Um, do you muck around with the, the joss bun like that as well?
1: Yeah, I do. Um, at times, if I'm going through, and uh, I, I'll say I do if I'm uh, tying several flies and I don't want to switch back and forth, um, I'll utilize, you know, cording up the thread to, to do, you know, say I'm going to do the, the, the tailing of the fly, I'll cord it up for that, and then it's like, then I... Step up into the body where I'm going to start stacking, then I flatten it back out. So I mean, it, it is—it's really, you know, it's it's a versatile thread for sure. Mm. Um, and uh, and like I said, it's uh, you know, you you mentioned something. You said you started out. Um, you started so when you started with deer hair, you were spinning. You said, yeah. See that people find it funny, and and I I I do get asked this a lot. Everybody thinks because, um, uh, I guess because a lot of my bugs, and this goes back to sort of me being an old soul, you know, a lot of my bugs, and I know a lot of yours are this way too, but I do a lot of the barring um, on instead of stacking dots of colors on my bugs. Um, yep. And that comes from, you know, again, growing up, I would see, you know, a lot of, uh, uh, and he's a, a really good friend and mentor of mine, but like Dave Whitlock, I would see the yeah. the flies he would tie and they would look, you know, they would be, uh, I, I'll call it candy striped or they would have the barred sections and they wouldn't have the dots or the stacks. And, and I would see these like different color, you know, certain patterns I sort of consider old school. Um, so people, I get asked a lot like, hey, how do you spin your hair so tight? I actually can't spin hair. I've tried. I, I suck at it. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know <laughs> what it is, but I cannot. I, I'm very and and, I, and I'm I'm just going to go out on a limb here and say you probably are to a certain extent. But I'm very OCD about um, the amount of hair I put. On. Well, I'm just oh, sort Oh, me of, too. Yeah. I, I'm I'm my own worst enemy when it comes to you know I'm my own worst critic I should say. Um, so, spin for for me at least spinning i could never get consistent repeatable results like i wanted so um yeah a lot of people are shocked and like hey how do you spin spin your bugs i'm like i i don't want to actually stack top and bottom the colors is like the way i explained it to them like i just you know i use my my fingers as like a measuring device on you know, how thick each clump needs to be that I cut off. And I after you do so many, you pretty much figure out like, hey, I've got this much in my hand that's gonna go on the bottom. I'm gonna pull out the exact same clump and it's gonna feel the exact same for the top. And you just um you just go from there. Um so anyway it was a little side note from whenever you're talking about spinning that just made me think of, of that.
0: No, it's important, and I'm glad it went this direction because it's um it's something I get like people put a comment on a post i might put up and go, "Wow, you spin deer hair really nice." And uh, look, I don't mean to be argumentative. I'm hoping I'm being more more uh, educational in saying I don't I don't spin hair. I stack hair. It, um because it it is it is it's the only way to do that. So I'm like you. Like um, I mean, there's a pattern that we both we both tie that that the deer hair cicada, you know, and um
2: and it's oh, got yeah. that
0: it's got that, um, those, those, um, those, uh, circles, if you like, you know, that go all the way around and, oh. uh, you know, that pattern, I tie that stacking all those bars like that as well. And, it's, um, and I'm, I'm glad we went this direction, I suppose, in regards to stacking versus spinning, because I think that's one of the greatest skills with flight time. A lot of people would see that as the, uh, the, the, the razor blade work or, or, or um or you know like placement of the, the the dots or lines and and all that sort of carry on but in, to my in my opinion the hardest thing to learn is that is a that dexterity and that that the ability to measure the same amount of deer hair top and bottom um it, it, for for any of those deer hair flies as an example you know a diver might have or any bug might have a plain color on the bottom but then you've got to measure uh you know not only that 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 base color but then you know if you want a smaller circle then a bigger circle of another color then a tiny dot in the middle it's still got to add up and you've got to feel it and add up to the same clump that you've got on the bottom so whatever's on the bottom has got to be equal to what's on top um which i think is a very hard part of 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 the of the deer hair and i think it it comes with time for anyone with time um it's not something that I, i i find a challenge these days but in the beginning understanding that balance was um was something that had to be uh, learned rather than taught, I guess you could say.
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's uh, yeah, it took me, took me a long time to, uh, to figure, to figure that out. And honestly, that's, I mean, I've been, and again, this, uh, I love the look of a lot of the old bugs that I remember as a, as a kid and, and, see a magazine or i mean sometimes just to get inspiration i just heck i would just google old um topwater bass lures and find the you know a certain color pattern that sort of stuck out to me um and that in a way that sort of i don't want to say that i have a a style but that sort of in a way developed you know what i enjoy the most um is the the barring effect and you know not necessarily um i still do the stacking different colors and doing the dots but uh uh again i think it's just uh it's it's just cool to be able to have a bug turn out really well whenever you've been able to you know do something you've learned something that's repeatable like that you know what i mean
0: Mm. yeah no, I, I agree. I, I agree. Like it's uh, the reason I got into those circles um was there's a similar thing. I can remember seeing old deer hair poppers. I can remember seeing one a South African guy tied for largemouth bass over there and it had you know googly dot doll eyes on it and stuff stuff that I just wouldn't use these days, but it was a yellow and black um, slant face popper or straight cut popper at the front there and it was just straight and it was just black and al- alternating black and yellow bars all the way through it, and I just I'm the same. Um, it just it just looked old school to me. It looked it looked cool, and um, um, yeah, no, I I, I started implementing it and mixing it up with with the dots and, and stuff like that. But um, you know, we yeah, we, we brought up the cicada earlier on as well. Like it, um, I mean that that one sort of fit really nicely with with, with something like that. But I'll do it at the front of the um, divers to instead of putting the dots there, just to mix it up and things like that as well. I don't think it's, I don't think it's um, I think it's actually um, it's actually pretty pretty uh, you've got to be pretty even with those with those lines to, to make it so when you when you pack it on when you're stacking it really tight that those lines yeah. don't don't mismatch like if you've got more hair on the top than underneath like it can slant back I've noticed um, so yeah. it's it it's no it's no um, I, I know no one would be suggesting this or saying it but I'm just gonna say it anyways it's no easy it's no easy uh, shortcut you know for, for doing it that way that's for sure particularly it takes a real fine amount of deer hair to sort of uh, a, a, and to get those those lines so precise particularly if you're measuring them out and you've got a thin one and a thick one a thin one and a thick one you can't just willy-nilly grab bits of um deer hair off the patch you know it's so uh, yeah, yeah
1: it's, and that's you know that's a that's another thing that i'll say too is um when you're talking about you know if i could give someone advice um as far as like getting started with deer hairs you know i think there's sort of a a misunderstanding maybe about um, the amount of, you know, a lot of people, and granted, it depends on the application, but a lot of people say, I've heard a lot of people say, like, oh, you've got to, you know, put as much hair as each clump or stack top and bottom, you get as much hair as you can comfortably handle, and that's what you stack on the hook. Um, I I tell people all the time that, that, demos because I've been asked like, "Oh, is that you know, is that all you're going to put for that color?" and I'm like, "Yeah, you know, that it doesn't have to be eventually the hook shank's going to get filled up, you know. It's mm. it's uh, it's cuz you're going to pack it back and then, you know, whatever amount of of hair, uh, you know, whatever amount you put on, you're still you're going to push it back and you're going to have more hook shank to fill up. You're not just going to leave the hook shank bare, so um I think that's sort of a, a misunderstanding uh by by some is you've gotta use just a ton of hair no matter what what size bug it is or what it's gonna turn out to be. Um I just I really just you know, depend well if I'm depends on how many colors I wanna put on a bug or you know, um really what I'm comfortable handling. If it's you know, if I'm doing a like I just finished up a guy wanted some that were solid yellow with a with a red face. I mean, you know, uh, there it's like it's almost like a free for all. Like I can do a one pencil thickness clump, or I can do two, you know, and get done quicker. It's just whatever I'm comfortable with, um, depending on the length of the hair, the you know, the patch that I have. Yeah. Um, so I think that's a that's a big thing too um, that a lot of people maybe. And I say that because I used to think, I used to misunderstand that too and think that I had to, you know, grab this huge hank of hair and clean out the under fur and just try my best to be able to maintain hold of that hair while I stack it on. And it was just, it was, a, it could be a nightmare at times. Yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I'm the same. I've had some strange things happen. It's, um. I think, uh, I want to just finish off that. I've got, a, I've got a question to ask you about something that's, um, People who tie deer hair would probably be interested to hear, um, um, because it doesn't get doesn't get you don't get see it very often. But anyway, um, I was going to say the measure of the shank or the measure of the hook that you're using, or in relation to the uh, mixing up from like a like a size four hook to like a a a big six o, like a TP six ten or something like that, which takes you know almost a couple of patches of deer hair. You know, like to to measure that out is 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 a bit of a skill in itself as well. Um, Getting it in without crowding the the eye of the hook, uh, you know, like being able to fit what you want in there, um, is is a bit of a skill. Like I've I've done, I've tortured myself, I should say, I shouldn't say I've done. I haven't done it comfortably, but I've done. Um, I've, I've faded colours from from a less density to a, a a higher density from one end of the fly to the other, and that's yeah. you know, like you you might tie on like a like um, you know, say a two o hook or something like that. That's about, you know, you you've got. I don't know, you've probably got about eight or nine stacks to tie in to make that look seamless all the way through. You can't put like, you know, like six pencils of hair on as much as you can no one can hold six pencils, but I mean you can't you can't put on as much as you can possibly hold in that scenario. There's a lot of finesse in, in, in tying that. It's not gonna do any better for catching the fish. It's it's a it's a it's a personal goal, I guess you could say it's an idea. Uh, when I say torture i mean i don't mean i don't mean obviously Literally, I enjoyed doing it of course but um you know it's it's a little bit of a, a little bit of a a, a a point i'm getting at i suppose is that more of a um a thought process there's a more of a, a a careful thought process that goes in rather than putting as much hair on as you possibly can
1: oh absolutely yeah yeah' I've, uh, and that's the thing too. like the the fading um Colors, that's, yeah, that can get a little tricky because I've done some, uh, I'll do some, usually in the wintertime is when I sort of do um, just odd and end stuff like some, uh, do some display flies, you know, uh, for, for people or even I've got a couple I did this past winter for myself because um, everybody was always like, well, you tie deer hair flies, but you don't really have any, you know, it's like. <laughs> uh, i didn't have any just sitting around other than what was in my box so uh but um going back to the fading like you you do have to you do have to sort of calculate and figure everything out because uh yeah you depending on how many clumps you do and what you know it sort of depends on the rate that you're blending you know if you're swapping from one color to another you know fading out of one color into a darker or lighter, or whatever it might be you've got a you've got to plan accordingly because Before you know it you're going to do it gradually and You pulled off a bunch of clumps and then you're at the hookah before you know it mm, Yeah, exactly well
0: even I mean it, I mean the only way to discover that stuff is to give it a go I can uh, I can think back to some flies where I've thought this idea of you know going from from white with one percent orange or something like that in there to increasing that up to being a completely orange fly at the beginning at the start of it and halfway through that blending in some some blue and then having a bit of black up near the nose as well there's been times where i've laid out on the desk like uh blended up clumps at certain percentages and added it more there you know like if the if the if the breeze came in through the window i would have found myself crying for
1: sure But uh Uh, yep i've done exact same thing you're talking about it yeah play flies i do I, that's exactly what i would do i have the big hairline um the like the rubber mat in my oh, yeah. office and i just um yeah put the hook in the vise and then i sat and like prepped each clump you know it's like and and like you said changed the uh, change the amounts as i worked my way forward and uh yeah had everything sort of ready to go um and and just uh little clumps that i could throw in in the stacker mm. where where you're at with steaming do you steam your, your bugs uh, yeah i actually do um I, again this whole ocd thing uh I, I just um well i'll say every about 90 percent of the bugs i steam um if it's my own personal bugs, I'll say that's probably the ten percent that I don't steam, <laughs> just because <Yeah. laughs> you know you, you you've done this and you know like when it comes to your own box, um, it's usually lacking in what you type. So <laughs> it's all it's, seconds it's a, for me.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So it's just like uh, I, well, I'll say I've changed that over the past year or two, where I, I make time just to. To fill up my own box, but uh, but yeah, I do I do steam most of of what I tie just because um, I don't know, especially the way that I pack the hair back uh, on mine, and when I, and you know just like I do, whenever you're constantly pushing, you know, I put my thumb and forefinger at the back where the where the tail meets that first those first two stacks. Yep, and I'm mainly yes. steam. Yep. It. Yeah, I mainly steam it just because of that because I want to stand all that hair back up that's sort of been mashed over and over with me, you know, packing hair back and using mm. my fingers uh, back behind there um, mm. to push everything back. I, I use the steamer really just for that to get all that standing up the way it should be.
2: Mm.
0: Yeah, I, I, I understand. I am. Um, I if if I'm tying them for someone else, obviously I want it to be. As neat as a pin, as best I can get it. Again, like I, I feel like I could share your um, approach to OCD in that respect. Um, yeah, yeah. And and to do that, I like to um, steam it. What I had noticed before when I've steamed them um, is that if I steam my own, take it fishing, and then trim it, like I'll I'll steam it. What I'll do is I'll um, I'll pack all the hair on. I'll steam it and then I'll trim it. Um, and that will release any of the trapped hairs and I sort of carry on and make it, it'll make it sit out like it's been shocked with electricity, you know, it's, um, it will stand straight up, but, um, then I'll steam it again on that, uh, for, for commercial flies, um, after that and trim it again, because I've taken my flies for a swim in the water before after trimming it and they look really nice on the desk. Um, and then some hair will spring out. Like there'll be some trapped hair. Um, I, I, have had one experience where I guess you could argue, uh i i hope this comes across like it's just a funny story i was just about to say you can do it too tight i know some people will be like oh yeah you do it too tight good on you i don't mean it like that but i mean it's a, it can be a problem there's been times i've stacked dots on before and um gone to steam it after i've trimmed it i might have been really close to the thread and then the steam will expand the deer hair enough that it will actually expand against the thread which doesn't move and it'll cut the hair after yeah, all yeah. yeah after all
1: that work have you, has that happened to you too, Yeah. Oh yeah, it's yeah. it's happened to me. It's yeah. only happened oh, it's, to me, but uh, but yeah, it's it's happened before. Every time I
0: tie those really small bugs, or to the to the to the best that I can, it's a uh-huh. real heart and throat stuff for me. Like to do that final steam for that reason, because you're really close to the the thread. Uh-huh. <laughs> it depends on the. Um, I mean, it depends on the bug, I suppose. Because if you if you're tying in detail, you've got a lot of little clumps of of deer hair in there so which means that the thread is close to the shank of the hook but if if I was to do something like uh let's say like you know for my own box like an all black fly I'll do that I'll do that in two clumps or something like that like on a number four or a number two hook um depending on the type of hook of course but just to do it quick for myself which means there's more deer hair um that the thread's got to go around which means it's closer to the surface of the bug which means the trimming's got to be which is obviously if I do a black one and I've got the black the black gel spun thread it's um yeah it's that final that final steam is <laughs> can you be a bit
1: bit a bit on edge that's for sure yeah yeah <laughs> I know what you mean yeah that's uh, that's funny that's when uh, the two times that it's happened to me has been uh, when i was um steaming you know some small bugs and had that exact same thing happen so um, <laughs> uh, and i thought and I uh, and honestly it took me a bit to figure out um what what in the world was going on I, I was trying to figure out what i did wrong but after after a while just thinking about it i came to the conclusion like you were saying like you know that the thread wasn't moving the hair was and it's like uh, something I had to get <laughs>
0: yeah <laughs> this expands out i've had one pop out uh like um like those snakes the the fireworks they just slowly oh. grow out further and further it was uh, it was amazing. It looked like a, a fireman's ladder just extended out from the.
2: Yeah.
0: <laughs> I couldn't even be mad with it. It was it was pretty amazing to look at. But uh, <laughs> oh well, it's um part of the game, I suppose. I think it's I think it's worth learning for anyone anyone anyway, who's listening to this to to get into it. I mean, I, I'm sure that you and I could both agree, perhaps, in saying that um you know, we don't we don't tie deer hair flies for the for the sake of um of uh of the time. We you know we, we're just looking for things to do it's it's got to be arguably one of the most effective flies for the type of fishing that you know this, this that we do I and mean, there's a lot of similarities in that between smallmouth and australian bass that's for sure
1: yeah yeah it sounds like it i mean that's uh it's definitely um you know not just something that uh that uh you know it's not just my favorite median of material to use but it's uh i just think it's highly effective it's um you know, even and I don't know this for a fact, but in my mind, I always think, you know even even a tightly packed deer hair bug, when I'm just thinking when a fish eats that, it has a more, and again, how do I know this? But in my mind, I think it has a more natural feel to the fish, you know, it's mm. probably you know I can only I can only speculate that, but I'm just thinking that, there's a little bit of give within that hair when something chomps down on it. So uh, I, I don't know. I think it just, uh, they get eaten a lot, a lot more uh, confidently, I guess you could say.
0: I totally agree. I've, I've tried to express this in, um, you know, like, um, uh, sh- sharing the, uh, the excitement I have for deer hair and some of the posts that I've had before in saying that, you know, deer has got a more natural feel for fish. And I think in that scenario, which, you know, we can talk about it in this, in this long form. I mean, there's not a lot in this, but, um, I can talk about it in this five seconds more than I could ever do in a post because it's, I think I can agree with what you're saying there, because I think that, um, when, if a fish comes up and feels it, it doesn't find the hook, you know, it, provided you don't, you know, you know, rip it, try and try to set the hook into the next postcode. Um, it, it's going to, it's potentially going to come back because of that natural crunch that, that feel, you know, like, uh, Okay. again how could i know either you know like but that's what i think and i've seen it you see it when you fish a gurgler you know something might come up and and have one go at it you know and it's but mm-hmm. deer you they they tend to come back you know and it's um yeah.
1: yeah i i wonder if that's the reason why as well that's uh that's that's exactly why i have that same line of thinking as i've i've had that same scenario happen No telling how many times where um uh, I don't know – we have a species um, here that I don't know if you guys have, like, an equivalent to, but um, uh, we have uh, – have you ever heard of uh, bowfin? Oh, yeah. Yep, yep. Yeah. So do you all have anything similar to that?
0: Yeah, we do. We've got a fish called a um, a Saratoga, um, or okay. we nicknamed Toga. But, uh, oh. yeah, it's a very similar prehistoric – different fish, but prehistoric looking all the same.
1: Yeah. So yeah, the bowfin is a lot like the, um, we also have, well, it's really close. I think it's closely related and it looks a lot like the, um, they, they're invasive here, but the snake heads, Mm. um, but, uh, I had an instance, a couple, it's probably been three years ago. One evening me and my youngest son were in my kayak fishing this Creek. And, uh, I had something, I had this fish, uh, Right at the edge of a weed line, I threw a, it was a Dahlberg diver. I threw it to the edge of the weed line and it was still water. And then it immediately narrowed down into, um, like some riffle moving water and, uh, right at the edge of the, or that little point, I had a fish cast out, I stripped once, had this big blow up and I go to set the hook, the fly comes, comes flying back at me, Cast it right back out there within a foot or so of the same spot, same thing, big blow up. and this time I was hooked into the fish for I don't know three, four seconds. And then my fly come flying back at me again, put <laughs> in the third time, same thing happened, and I was hooked up again. And anyway, it was it was a it was a bow fan, which they're sort they're pretty nasty, aggressive eaters, but um anyway, when I got him in, uh, unhooked him with some really long needle nose uh, or some hemostats, got my fly back, and he had um, three different holes. He was bleeding because they're, you know, they're pretty soft-mouthed fish, but he was uh, bleeding in two spots in the roof of his mouth and then had the hook and third. So, I mean, he actually came back and he ate the fly three times before I was able to, to do my job and, and set the hook. Yeah, wow. um, yeah, and that just uh, that sort of cemented that idea even further about the deer hair for me, you know.
0: Yeah, yeah, so. yeah. It's uh, it's amazing. It's um, you know, you would think when people, I don't want to. This is probably a tangent that could probably go for a while, but we we won't get too far. But I'll tell you a story. Um, I uh, I was in a shop once, and um, and a lady says to me you know, what do you, what do you, what do you do? And, and the subject of fishing came up and, um, and she just flat out changed it, changed her attitude towards me big time. I respect people who, um, who, uh, you know, have, have, got, um, you know, animals on their mind. That's for sure. Let's put it that way. Anyway, she said, I, I hate fishing. <laughs> I'll <I'm> go, <going>, well, <laughs> Hate's a <the> strong word. <laughs> it's, um, it's, um, what, what, what don't you like about it? She goes, I don't like inflicting pain on fish. And I've gone, well, I, I could tell you right now that I'm, um, I'm quite a, conservationist in the, in that way to, to fish i actually sit on the fence about hurting them as a fisherman for for um for catch and release because i respect the species so much it's a it's a weird tug of war for me and she gets she just wouldn't listen with that and i said and she goes well you're hurting me the way i said well let me put it this way if i put a um a, a whole lobster in front of you on a plate tied your hands behind your back could you eat that whole thing with your mouth and mm-hmm. um And, and obviously you can't, a human would tear the mouth up. I mean, it's just a different species. Like you talk about that, that fish that, um, that was cut up completely, but still hunting, you know, it's, um, yeah, you know, so it's, uh, you know, it's it's interesting, eh? But I mean, yeah. Um, I guess the the point is, like you said, that the deer hair fell is incredibly natural and, and I, I tend to, tend to, tend to agree. You know, I think, um, that scenario we talked about earlier about them pulling the fly under, um mm-hmm. you know, that, that's another one where i feel as though like they're making contact with that deer hair they've got to think it's something natural whether it's the the aesthetics of it or um or or the feel of it one way okay. or the other they they or, or even the speed that it rises to the top uh, you could you imagine like if you pull a mouse under like uh, like under the under the surface how how long it would take for it to to get back up to the top of it to be swimming but it won't rise up like uh at the speed of light like like a piece of foam you know Um, yeah, I, I just think that it's, um, it's an effective fishing tool, which we've covered that for sure. (laughs) Yeah. Hey, uh, let me, let me ask you something. Um, with, with, let's consider these three factors in fly tying and I'd want you to put them in order and I'd be interested to hear what you think between functionality, color and, and caricature.
1: Hmm. I would say the the way you named them off was exactly the way I would uh, I would list them. <laughs> well, I think, well, obviously functionality first. Um, you know, I I might swap the second and third round, uh, You know, as far as caricature, I would think, uh, you know, profile. Um, I would maybe put that second. Actually, yep. yeah, I would put that second just because. If I'm in, uh, you know, some, that's thats the one thing I, I know in the creeks that I fish, what kind of, even though I'm fishing deer hair stuff, I, you know, people probably think, you know, they automatically think poppers, divers, which, of course, I use those a ton, but I still, in essence, match the hatch on a lot of stuff, and that, that has to do, you know, there's frogs. Um, in all the waters I fish, there's rodents, you know, mice, uh, I mean, these are surrounded in fields, and uh, you know there's there's rodents around. there's you know all kind of different things. Um, and like your your cicada, that's why um I start tying that thing because every uh, it should be coming up here in the next probably two weeks. I'll start hearing cicadas emerge here and and that's that's all I'll fish. I mean,
0: Oh really? That's I'll,
1: cool. Yeah. I mean that I'll fish, uh, that's a yearly thing here is we have a year, we have an annual cicada hatch, um, and I'll fish those. They're, they're called, uh, growing up, everybody called them July flies because that's in July. That's all you hear is cicadas. Um, so I'd, I, would I sort of, in a way, with this, that's the cool thing about smallmouth is you can sort of fish for them in almost like a, almost like a trout way. I mean, you're you can match the hatch, and they they're more they can be more finicky as far as what they eat. I mean, sometimes you actually do have to match the insects or you know, the the subsurface uh, bugs or bait fish to get them to eat. I mean, that's just the way they can be that picky when the water gets really low, um, the places I fish in the summer. So, um, so yeah, I would say that uh, definitely, you know, I want it to be durable and then I want it to have a certain profile and then color you know I I go back and forth about color um, to me colors more I mean I hate to say it but it's it's more for me in a way mm-hmm. you know it's it's mm-hmm. what uh because it's funny here um, most I would say 95 percent of the people that fly fish um, for warm water species like bass um, you look in any other Fly boxes or their top water box. There's going to be some form of a yellow popper, uh, diver, slider. Whatever reason, yellow is everyone's favorite color. I, and honestly, there is no no insect that has a yellow belly. The you know a, some of the our frogs have yellow on the underside. Most of them have um, white mixed with like greens and browns you know olives um but there's nothing really in nature that uh, as far as bug life um that has a yellow well i take that back there's some of our grasshoppers but other than that there's nothing else that's just out there every day with uh, a yellow body so Mm -hmm. but it's like the number one That's the number one requested colors I get for flies that I tie. That's the, anyone you talk to that fly fishes, all they talk about is yellow bugs. I mean, that's all you hear. And I don't, for the life of me, I've never been able to figure it out. But, I mean, I fish a lot of, you know, a lot of my hoppers are yellow and they get eaten a lot. And again, I don't know what they're taken for, but uh, yeah, they work. So. Mm. Um, maybe, I don't know, maybe color is not as important as, you know, maybe it's more of a confidence thing to the angler, I would say. Um, but yeah, I would, but I would actually put the color last for me personally.
0: Yeah, I, I agree with, I agree with your list. I didn't actually think about which way I would put it when I read them out or wrote them down in my notes here. But, um, um, I would agree. I would agree with that list for sure. I'm like you, I go back and forth with color as well. I think, like we've talked about in way, the deer hair feels natural. How could we possibly know? But we, uh, what you know, what colour does for a fish? But there are certain colours, like you mentioned there, in regards to yellow for smallmouth, that that collective of of anglers have realised over a long period of time is more successful than than other colours. You know, and whether that's yep. um whether like you say whether that's confidence or an actual fact for the fish. I mean, we could really split hairs about this and talk about. Can fish see colour? You know, and which ones do see colour, or, or or is it the contrast that they're after? But I, one thing I, I would put down as um as a real determining factor for colour, is I think sometimes it can be that last minute decision for a fish um, can become come down to colour. Like potentially, you know, they're seeing they're seeing the um well, first of all, they're seeing the functionality. A fly that swims is going to catch more fish than a fly that doesn't swim, whether it's top water, subsurface doesn't matter um Mm -hmm. second of all like that profile of the caricature if if they're seeing a frog for example down below and they can see frog legs sticking out the back they're not they're not worried about the eye color are they you know i mean they're not they're not worried about that at all but if they get to within you know a a, a fin's distance from a from what they're what they're doing there and they're ready to commit or not commit and they're making that last minute decision perhaps Mm -hmm. that that color might be enough for them to sort of go yay or nay on those those times where they're lethargic uh in in their decision making there's a there's oh, a yeah. color yeah there's a color in australia that we i mean we, we lean towards orange here for a lot of species um all those species i mentioned earlier bass barramundi uh, murray cod uh even some of the saltwater species do like a, a hot orange um you know spot i know there's a lot of species other species around the world that like to do that as well but that one's a bit hard to hard to argue, so to speak. But in saying that, there's still plenty of fish to get caught without orange, and 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 it's, it's necessary. I mean, you could even measure it between uh, UV reactive orange and non-UV reactive orange as well. Whereas, interesting enough, what you're saying about yellow, yellow is not generally uh, UV reactive. It can be, I suppose, mm-hmm. but it's not not. Are you tying UV reactive, or are you leaning towards one or the other?
1: Um. I mean, really, that's, that's the whole thing. Like I still, and everyone I've talked to, they still go yellow for whatever reason. And again, I don't know, I don't know what that is. I mean, even when you break it down to UV, like I'm, I'm not sure, but again, it's, I mean, even when I was younger, that was, that was sort of a, that was pretty much that's the, always been the confidence color, and almost akin to, um, I don't know, well, there's a, you know, you've always seen the old, a lot of the old lures, and a lot of the old, even the old popping bugs, um, were solid white, and they might have like a red face, you know, I just, to me, that looks like a a bait fish, or whatever, you know, maybe it's injured, Um, that's, that's sort of the way yellow is seen here, it's that it's almost it's that's how classic it is um it's like the old white with the red face in a way it's for whatever yeah, cool. reason it, no matter what so yeah well
0: that's really interesting eh? um one thing i wanted to bring up i suppose because um it's actually quite flattering that you that you tie this and fish that 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 cicada pattern you know when um when i uh when i came up with that that design i was i copped a lot of criticism from people in australia In regards to that because um of the way that I tied it um I'm interested to get your thoughts on it but I'll tell you what what they're criticizing at first uh actually I'll tell you how the reason I designed it the way I did first and then tell you what that but uh out in some of the lakes I was fishing I was seeing cicadas and I was I was I had seen them get eaten and they were um not doing uh, breaststroke if you know what I mean <laughs> um that was they were sitting still and and occasionally vibrating like just twitch twitch you know and their wings were beside them beside themselves or dangling a bit you know as they became tired I never ever saw a cicada hit the water and get smashed instantly you know and I'm sure fish do but in in my circumstance that's i i I caric- copied the caricature of of what I was seeing it's impossible to tie a realistic it's not impossible, but I, I never it, it, it attempted to tie a realistic cicada. Um, mm. in Australia, like I copped criticism, people saying, oh, you should put crystal flash hanging out 90 degrees to the side. Um, there's a, there's a couple of popular cicada flies in New Zealand. Um, and people were people from people, uh, were telling me that you should make them more than, like this and, and that had deer hair sticking out the top of it. And, uh, you know, all this sort of stuff. Whereas the, you know, it's, it's not, it's a simple looking fly it's quite mm-hmm. sleek you know the, the, the wings are, are across its back like it was a uh, resting you know on, on the side of a tree but um i figured that the feathers the fe- when you're using the feathers there they would they would soften and they do and they sort of dangle to the side and they create their own sort of movement it's quite a mm-hmm. it's quite a um it, it, it's essentially just a chunk of deer hair. it's it's not much fancy at all it doesn't have these big paddles off the front of it which is why I I I often question when I see hard body lures like the guys who fish gear or the conventional gear um, with a big paddle of face off the end of a cicada shaped bit of plastic. You know, I'm thinking, how can a fish look at that if we're trying to imitate the caricature of its prey item and and think of it's real? I realise the reason it gets eaten a lot is because it's appealing to other senses of, of of other predatory senses of the of the fish, but I don't think one of them is the caricature. You know. So, um, yeah. yeah, I, I, I don't know what, I mean, obviously you have a bit of confidence in that pattern. You, you, you tie it really well. In fact, mate, it's, uh, I'll, um, I I want to say congratulations on your, I never, I know I've spoken to you on text, but I, congratulations for your art, that article in field and stream that, 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 um, that, that talked about that fly quite a bit as well, which was, which was pretty cool to see from my point of view. It, uh, it doesn't get yeah. seen in, it, it doesn't, it's never been in any media in Australia here, but it's been in, that magazine with you has been in, in a couple in europe and another one i think another one in the u.s for i think jeff roley had one featured as well and so it's um it's really cool to see that fly take off around the world but i'm interested i've never spoken to you about um why you like to fish
1: it well as i was hoping you'd ask that because um uh so i remember uh I, I remember i saw the fly and i talked to you about it so i Attempted and, and tied uh, tied one up and I remember and this was in probably late June early July when all the cicadas were out and uh, you know I was talking about how smallmouth can be finicky and almost like you have to match the hatch and I remember this one day um, there's this uh, this one 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 bank it's it's the right bank of this particular stream that I fish um, has a I mean, the whole right side is nothing but overhanging trees and uh, limbs and branches, crystal clear water. I mean, the water is just like, looks just like a a trout stream. Um, And and it's usually around this time of year, too, that we have really low water on these streams. So I was fishing, uh, tried several different uh several different top water flies and i fit i could see fish feeding you know fish would pop up every once in a while like you said when a cicada would fall in the water and it would exactly like you said it would fall splat wouldn't immediately move it's almost like it was disoriented Mm. and then you would get a little buzzing from the legs every once in a while or from the wings excuse me as it went downstream and then you know, I would see a wake and here would be a, a smallmouth or a group of panfish. The panfish, they're not, they don't have a big enough mouth to eat it. It's, it's funny. Oh, not funny to the cicada, but funny to watch. <laughs> you'll have a, a little herd of five to seven, even eight panfish come up and they will sit there and you'll hear it sounds like a. It just well, it sounds like a popping noise. You'll hear something popping on the surface of the water, and you'll look, and these little panfish will sit there and pick apart the cicada. One might get one leg, one might get another. And they're, as it's floating downstream, you just see the cicada sort of bouncing on the surface, and it's getting sort of ravaged as it goes down. And uh, before it leaves the pool, a lot of times you'd see a smallmouth wake over, and the the cool thing is those smallmouth, the big smallmouth. When they're really confident, uh, what I've noticed, big smallmouth, when they're confident that what they're, they think that's, they just know that's a cicada. They don't make a big splash. They don't, they do the slow motion like you've seen. I know on tons of videos where a brown trout will rise really slow and almost just open its mouth and the water just, it's like a, a, a flush, you know, it just, everything pours right in its mouth. That's what I would see with those smallmouth, and uh, but man, everything I threw at them, it's like they would wake over to it, and the water's clear enough. I was sight fishing to all these these fish. I would watch them inspect it, and then turn or just drop down deeper in the water column, and it's like no, that's not what I wanted. So I tied up, I tied one of your uh, cicadas, and I happened to have it with me that day and i was like oh i was like well i'm gonna try this and literally the first cast i can remember i can go and show you the exact tree I threw right underneath the branch <laughs> and as soon as it landed i saw two wakes from two different directions come over so it's two small waked over and they're in probably i don't know a foot and a half maybe two foot of water and uh, they come over and uh Both of them almost like headbutted each other because they both opened their mouth at the same time. And of course, the smaller one got the, got the fly, but, (laughs) uh, but it was, so it was the coolest thing because I love, uh, that time of year being able to sight fish to these fish, but I was always used to getting some rejection because honestly, before then, as far as like a bug profile, I was using, foam. um, I had a couple of foam cicada patterns I used. Um, I've got to use a couple of foam, almost like just supersized Chernobyl ants, um, you know, with like a big wing. Mm -hmm. Uh, I would use those. I mean, I would have success with them. um, But nothing as consistent as that cicada. Um, So I ended up... uh, I remember I used that fly the whole day, and came home and tied up three more and stuck them in my box and went back the next day, uh, a little bit further south of that same creek and did the same thing all over again. And it was like it was like I had gotten this key that like unlocked you know how to how to catch all these finicky low water fish, which like I said I I love I love that type of fishing because it's like. You know, I even, it sounds silly, but I even wear, you know, like a, a camo, you know, like Sims, the camo hoodies. I wear those because, I mean, you can't, you can't even wade, you know, you have to watch your step when you're wading. You don't want to send any, uh, any waves or wakes downstream or upstream. I mean, you have to really hunt the fish and, you know, to be able to sort of get that last, East of the puzzle was that cicada of yours being able to you know have something that they were extremely confident like oh this is a cicada just like the one i just ate at the water mm-hmm. um and yeah just uh it's been a, a really phenomenal fly now i know you you know the original one that i tied i tied just like yours with the uh with the feathers and i think me and you had talked through Messages because I'd add the others I tied. Um, I used uh, I've got one right here on my desk actually. I use one two, I use I use the the fine size rubber legs, but I use six of those mm. total. Um, and I mix and I do them in between, um, like uh, the barring. You know the color change. Yep. Um. So it's like it's like you know two separate wing sets. Um, and I mix a little bit, just a tiny bit of Senyo Predator, the barred predator wrap, because it has a little, just a just enough UV quality that's not overly flashy. Um, yeah. And you mix it in with those rubber legs, and when it sits on the water, it lays. Um, it just it sort of splays out, and you don't, and you still don't have to do anything. I mean, yeah, you can twitch it, but even with the slightest amount of current or even wind, though that splayed out uh, rubber leg and predator rat material just sort of, you know, wiggle around and I guess imitate a, a, in a way a spent, you know, winged uh, insect. So it uh, it's, and what I was going to say is I, I remember asking about that and I think, didn't your first version, wasn't it rubber legs yeah. as well?
0: Yeah, it was. The very first one I ever made. Was the same deer hair configuration, but um, I uh, behind the collar, I uh, I pushed those rubber legs through. I think I, I was only looking at it the other day. Um, I think I I used it wasn't it was it, it had to be rubber, like you're saying. Like rubber's going to float better than the silicon, you know. It's um um and it's going to perform better for that particular fly. Um, yeah. It was um yeah it was I think I used to maybe three three or four, but it was just rubber. There was no. It was not, none of that. Um, the like what you've done with the. Um, it was not like what you've done, but it was just rubber. That was the original one, correct?
1: Yeah. 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 And and also one thing, and this is um, to get it to sit, uh, which it sat perfectly fine, but to give it a little more, I guess you would say profile. Um, uh, Chuck Craft, who he's he's passed away, but he have you seen the Chuck Craft like his. The bugs that he was famous for. He did a lot of cork um, cicadas, and he uh, he did a lot of uh, most of his um, well top water and his subsurface stuff. He did a lot of the suede cutouts, like way back in the day. Um, he did oh, like yeah. some, but he did uh, uh, bodies. Um, he did. A lot of the, a lot of people use. He had like a, I can't remember the exact name. But he had a little, um, almost like a baitfish tail, um, that he used on his cicada, um, and he used it out the back as like a tail, almost. And it and it gives and what it does, it gives a almost like a closed wing profile to the to the bug. Yes. Yeah. So, so I started adding those on to mine. Oh, cool. like a. Yeah, and and it's since it's that suede, it gives it like a little, just a little bit of a tilt to where that tail, which they probably perceive as like a some of the wing, it tilts it just enough to where it's sort of subsurface the tail end is. Mm. Um, I, I don't know that it added. A ton, I mean, like I said, the bug was effective from day one that I used it. Um, it's just sort of. You know i'm i'm ai am a, I'm a fly at heart so i like to i like to tweak and play around with with different things i i get so many you know i'm influenced by guys like you and like chuck crafts it's like i combine those two um and it's just uh, i don't know it's it's all part of the fun to me too as well as you know if i can if it can be fun and there's some functionality at least in my mind behind it <laughs> you know yeah uh, I, I go with it, so so that's that's where that's where I'm at on that's the awesome. on the cicada.
0: I, I think um, the whole the whole reason for doing this um, the the offshoot from our main podcast, being the fly tying one, is to is to really have that that ethos, if you like, in in regards to the approach to fly tying. What you've done is um, you know like you you've seen something you've been influenced by it and you've tuned it to suit. Um, your own fishing scenario you know and it's um um because what the way i use that fly is is a different scenario you know without getting into it but um you know like i i was listening to you talk about that going wow, that's an interesting parallel compared to what it was um it was done for and then to hear the evolution of of what you're doing there with that um was is is pretty cool i think that's that embodies the actual um approach that people should take to fly tying is that um it's not a matter of changing it for the sake of changing it artistically. It's a matter of changing it for the sake of of the fishing or adapting to your to your fishing scenario. Um yeah, and, yeah. and you are taken a little bit I've actually Googled that fly you're talking about. It's uh he calls it an Excalibur, Chuck Craft's Excalibur. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Uh-huh.
1: And, yeah. Yeah. And that would I mean, that's um sort of uh let's see, that would be northeast of me. Yeah, that's um that's what that bug was like known for. I mean, it was known for like the big, you know, on the where he used to guide. That was the that was the bug that everyone had in their box was a uh, the Excalibur bugs, and uh, he just did a he did an awesome job with them. And there's a there's actually a guy. Um, gosh, I feel bad. I can't remember the gentleman's name right now, but um, Eastern Trophy Fly Fishing. He's still. Um, ties. He was uh, Chuck was his mentor, and he uh, produces all the bugs now, and actually guides on the on the same waters that Chuck used to. And he's uh, just a really great guy. And, it, and but I mean, it's you know, like I look at what I've watched uh, some step by steps on what all goes into producing those cork bugs. I mean, you know, people think. I'm crazy for, for doing, you know, deer hair stuff. But Mm -hmm. then I look at that and I'm like, I mean, for one, I, I really suck at painting. So I'm like, man, I don't (laughs) know how guys do that. All the, I I just see it as in steps. I see the shaping and sanding and base coat and clear, you know, it's like all these steps and I'm like, Oh man, I've got it easy. I just put hair on a hook and then take it away. (laughs) You know,
0: (laughs) I think the same thing to be honest with you. I, uh, I think to myself that the guys who, who shape balsa wood and, and do all that painting and stuff i mean yeah that's a lot of work but like you said yeah. a lot of people look at the stuff that, that we do and go wow that's a lot of work so it's uh <laughs> yeah it's pretty yeah. interesting and
1: that's, and that's the thing too you were just talking about just to touch on it real quick like changing uh you know taking a pattern and you sort of make it to suit your needs mm. that's uh it's really been surprising to me over the years how I would, I would say that the bugs that I, you know, a normal bug for me. And so for the average guy or average angler, I feel like they're not really going out and fishing at least here or really a lot of places in the U S they're not, going out and throwing huge bugs all day for bass um the average guy or angler i should say man or woman uh goes out with you know most everybody has a six weight and you know you're not throwing big bug huge bugs on a six weight but you can throw these size two and four bugs and they catch you know the, the big fish you know big fish and smaller fish they just catch numbers you know in a mm-hmm. lot of cases but um, that was a lot of you know I, I went through a I would say a big bug phase where I tied really big stuff but to be honest I didn't catch a lot because on the streams and creeks and rivers I fish the forage isn't you know huge by any means um, now there's times that a smaller fish would eat these these bigger flies you know i want to say bigger i'm two alt and up is what i consider big um Mm -hmm. and it just seems like it's a lot more relatable everybody relates a lot more to these um size say two four and six bugs um at least here. i don't know how how it is where you are um but it just seems like everybody's got a Got a six white around here, so they can they can throw at least they can throw most of the deer hair bugs that I that I tie, and that's and that's really and I didn't do that because any other reason. That's what I use the most. I mean, it would be extreme overkill to. I mean, if I were to show you like the width of some of the streams that I fish for smallmouth, I mean, some of them are I don't know fifteen foot wide. I mean, Mm. they're not, you know, but there's big fish in there, but you, you throw a huge bug in there. It's going to scare them away. And uh, especially during low water, um, it's just, you know, sort of mimic my, my tying sort of fits in with my, with my fishing style. So. Mm. I I agree. You said
0: earlier in regards to, you know, you, you, you thought it might've been overboard in regards to the, the camo and, and things like that, I'm sitting there shaking my head going, nope, not at all. I've, I've done the same thing. You know, it's, um, I, I, my OCD, if you like, it, it extends into my, into my fishing or hunting, if you like, in that respect. Um, mm-hmm. we spoke about that fish earlier, the Saratoga, which is, I find is a very different fish, but very similar in a lot of ways to both in, um, there's lakes mm-hmm. around here or rivers around here that you can walk the bank and, and fish from there as well. I, I, I get some days, I believe some days they can. They can, they can feel you walking, you know, like they could, they must be able to feel your, your footprint. But sometimes it makes no explanation that they, 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 there's no way they could see you. They can't, they, you can eliminate smell out of the, well, yeah. maybe with, with me, but some people I fish with, you couldn't, but, uh, um, <laughs> but, uh, but I mean, there's no other way that they can, they can see you. There must be some sort of vibration there. And I think that that vibration, although it can be a fish trigger when it lands or, 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 or what have you, even when you strip it, um, you know, like obviously the smaller one is going to have uh, less impact, particularly in the smaller water. You would fish a bigger fly in, in sometimes in lakes to, to call fish up or as a searching pattern, if you like. But if you're doing, you know, what you're talking about there, and I know, I know exactly what you're talking about. I, I grew up, uh, I fish a lot of lakes these days out of baits, but you know, I, I grew up, I've spoke to you on the podcast before, but briefly it's bass is the species that took me out of fishing for bait into lures, into fly for sure. And in similar scenarios to what you're talking about in small, clear, clear lakes and, and you learn that, um, you know, whatever you're throwing can really impact the whole, the whole, uh, pool that you're fishing. Even if you're fishing with someone else, you throw something in like a, like a spinnerbait or something like that. It's like chucking a set of car keys in the water, you know, that, um, that's gonna, (laughs) that's gonna shut down that whole pool, you know, And, uh, Mm. and those fish won't come back as opportunistic as some of those wild fish are. And I say, what I mean is river fish compared to lake fish. Um, you know, like, I think, I think that's the, the place to, to start. That's one of the benefits of, of fly fishing for sure. in the fact that you can go finesse and when you, you come from like a, a gear background or a conventional background, you know, like you, you, you're surprised at how finesse you can be and still attract the bigger fish. Um, often it leaves me thinking of things like, um, uh, scaling the size of a fish to what, what I'm throwing at them it, it, to, to what that would look like to me. You know, um, if I got a fish that's say, you know, 12 inches and I'm throwing something that's, um, four inches at it, I would imagine that that's probably like me, like putting something the size of like a foot, a foot long or something like that in front of me, you know, or, or, or even bigger, like, would I be scared of that or would I be intrigued to go closer to it? It's something that big. I'd probably be, if it, if it came from behind me or, or somewhere I didn't know it was coming, it had to be a, a, a surprise. I'd probably be adverse to, to checking it out. Whereas if it was something small, I'd be, what's that? You know, And would probably yeah. be inclined to get a bit closer to it initially, you know? Um, yeah. Exactly. yeah. Uh, is, is, um, hunting a big part
1: like a uh, outside of fishing of, of what you do? Um, it, you know, before, uh, well, before kids, yeah, it, it, I did a lot of, uh, I did a lot of bow hunting. Um, actually, uh, n- not even you know i did uh a traditional bow hunting i did you know like just a stick and string you know a recurve or a long bow um mm. used to used to hunt for uh we have uh white tailed deer um we have uh wild wild hogs here um used to hunt for those um so yeah i did i did a good bit of uh of bow hunting uh in the last few years um i've I'm sort of. I, I won't say my youngest son would be mad if he heard this. Me say this. I don't. I wouldn't say that. I. It doesn't have the same appeal as it did when I was younger, but um, I definitely I go because my younger son really enjoys it. Um, so I want to take him and let him. He's been able to experience it and had some really good beginner's luck which i think really fueled the fire even further for him um so it's been sort of neat to get back into it somewhat this past winter we didn't really do it a whole lot um but uh but yeah i do i do some uh nothing like i said nothing like when i was younger that was almost i mean i would say i uh, did that more than i actually fished um mm-hmm. whenever i was younger but uh but yeah i mean i pretty much now it's i only go if my one of my son's requests to go otherwise yeah, okay. you know it's and it's usually a morning thing you know most people go um in the morning and uh and two. Here, uh, the growth that our our town and city has had, um, it's taken away a lot of, you know, whenever I was younger, um, it was nothing to, I could literally leave my front steps at my parents' house and just hop in the woods and could hunt pretty much as far as I could walk because it was all, you know, the farmers that our family knew and we had permission that's that's not the case anymore there's subdivisions there's you know stuff's popping up everywhere Mm. um are we're we're lucky that where we um we just built a new home about a year and a half ago Uh, we bought part of a small farm um and we're lucky that it connects to um some of the some of the farmer's land and they're they're they would never sell. They're the type that, you know, just holds their land. They don't, they don't sell anything. So it's, mm. we have our own little, you know, piece of uh, paradise in a way. It's like, no, we have, we have neighbors a couple of acres away, but, um, yeah, we're not in the subdivision. We're sort of out on our own. We have our garden and, you know, dogs can run and play in the woods or go to the creek. It's, uh, it's uh it's nice um and you know there's there's wild i mean there's deer that come in our backyard and it's funny whenever i was younger it would be you know like a a green light but now i just i don't know (laughs) i enjoy i i enjoy watching you know um just yeah watching them hang out so yeah oh there's a lot that yeah it's um
0: yeah i know that's not what you're getting there's a lot to be learned from just watching you know even in fishing i reckon um Mm -hmm. How um how close to what how close to what like you said when I when I contacted you to see if you were ready to record, you said you're walking back home. Were you fishing this afternoon?
1: Uh no, I wasn't fishing. I was actually looking to see what the water level was. Um I have a creek that's I don't know. Uh probably a two or three minute walk from my back door. I mean, it's just I mean I can see it from the back porch. Um, so it's, I mean, it's, uh, it's right there and, and, um, uh, everybody always asks me where does Panther branch come from the name, uh, which is, you know, my Instagram, um, Panther branch is a Creek that it's a spring fed Creek that, uh, that I grew up on. It was right across the street from my parents and grandparents house and, uh, yeah, I can, I can actually walk, walk to it from my current house. Um, it's a, it's a pretty unique place. Um, it's a, it's a warm water Creek, but like I said, it's, I mean, I can actually from my house, I can walk to the spring where it, the first spring that creates the, the Creek itself. And, uh, there's two more springs that come out of the ground about a half mile away that join up with it, make it a little bit bigger. But um, when my granddad was um, a kid, he lived, He also grew up on the same property, and his dad. He he used to tell me his dad would come home, uh, and there was a trout hatchery um, about thirty about thirty miles. North of where we live. Anyway, his dad um, would occasionally, I don't know if he knew someone that worked at the hatchery or maybe drove the truck. But occasionally, they would uh, go out to stock these trout streams up in Tennessee, which is north of us. And uh, they would have some left over. Uh, maybe he would bomb. I don't know. Uh, but anyway, he would bring home um, some trout in a big tank, and he would just, you know, back in the day, he would just dump them in the creek beside the house. And my granddad told me that they would actually survive this warm water creek, you know, that had bass and panfish. And he said it would be like the middle of the summer, and they would go out in the evenings and catch a couple of rainbow trout and bring them back to the house, and his mom would would cook them. So, I mean, it was (laughs) – pretty unique because you don't, you know, it's not, yeah, it's not somewhere, it's not, not somewhere you would think that, uh, there would be a trout would have survived, but I mean, once you step into water, you can definitely see why, because it's even in the middle of the summer, it, I can remember as a kid, we would swim in this certain pool, and, uh, I just remember it, it took, a few minutes just to acclimate because you couldn't catch your breath when you first stepped in the water mm-hmm. um, it was that cold and uh and so i can i could definitely see why temperature wise the trout would uh would survive there
0: well it sounds like a pretty unique creek you got a bit ahead i mean i'm glad you did you got a bit ahead of me that's where i was going i um i i actually looked into a out of interest, a little while ago, what Panther Branch meant, I wondered if it was a waterway. <laughs> so I, yeah. um, so I was heading that way, but I didn't know how diverse um, that 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 creek was because. It, and would you put that down because it's spring-fed? Is that the reason why that 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 um, particular waterway can handle the uh, the mix of species? Yeah,
1: Because yep. Yeah, the the temperature and um, and it's uh, and the along with the temperature for whatever reason there's not a lot of um like runoff from farming or cattle or anything like that i mean it's there's some there are some cattle along the the creek uh, in certain places but uh the the bug life is really uh, as far as like what's in the water is really unlike any i've taken friends that um live in other states they've come down to fish and i've taken them and it's funny because i'll pull up a rock and flip the rock over from underneath the water and there's you'll just see mayfly nymphs crawling all over the rocks you'll see um i mean it's it's like it's trout food is all in there i mean there's tons of mayflies and the cool thing is you know of course not you know that was back when my granddad was a kid that they released the rainbows they're there's no trout in there now, uh, but I mean there's tons of uh, panfish and I you' second to bass, you probably know or anyone that looks at my Instagram knows that I, I love uh, Panfish are sort of my um, what a lot of people a lot of people chase brook trout in the mountains because of their colors. You know they're small, but they're really colorful here. Mm-hmm that's what a lot of the panfish are to me. Um, You've seen some of the pictures, I'm sure these like, yeah, blue and orange panfish Well, those fish are all in the, this all in Panther branch. And the cool thing is, is I can go out, I can come home, grab my three or four weight. I've got a little seven foot. I keep a little seven foot, uh, four weight fiberglass rod strung up. I'm looking at it right now. And I, can come home grab it and i can go about an hour before dark and go down to panther branch and there'll be um depending on the time of the year there'll be a mayfly hatch will kick off um there's always midges that are hatching out um there's all kind of so you can go and like some people that go and they're committed to dry fly fishing will I can go do the same thing, and, but it's not trout rising. It's these little colorful panfish, and you can, and you can literally time it to within the hour and be there, and you see the bugs kick off, and you can watch them set up in feeding lanes and start, and you know start feeding, feeding these uh, panfish dry flies.
0: Yeah, I think that's pretty cool. I don't, I don't think uh, when when you when you're fishing you are not fishing for it. I mean, I know you can eat the panfish, which is hence the name, obviously. But, uh, but, um, but when you when you're trying to uh, match the hatch and and, um, and 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 convince those fish to to eat something they believe is natural, I don't think it matters what size it is. I mean, you can make it more sporting by you know downsizing your gear, of course. But the mm-hmm. um, the challenge is the same, you know. I, yeah. I believe for sure. I wanted to ask you in regards to that. I've got it set up in my questions here about. Um, about your glass rod um i'm about i've never owned one I'm a, i've got one coming my way very soon i've got a thomas and thomas uh lotic or lotic i don't know how they pronounce it but
2: um, yeah,
0: yeah yeah it looks like a cool rod and um i'm i'm wondering how you're setting that up because i'll be fishing similar similar type flies and um and i noticed that you know you're fishing short distance as well um no one there's no writing on the side of any fly uh fly line box that that tells you what to use in that in that aspect. <laughs> I've found. Um, what which way do you set? It? How do you set your um rod up?
1: Um. So the so currently, like on my little four weight, I use um. Uh, the so there's two different lines that I've been that well, there's the Scientific Angler, the MPX line. I use it a lot um, because. Granted, you know, these are, um, these are, you know, essentially small bugs that are hatching, but I also throw um, when there's not a hatch and I'm just out fishing for fun with these lighter rods, I throw my little weighted hatchling crawl. Um, So I like that MPX line because it's, it's got just enough, it's it, it's overweighted slightly, but not enough to sort of dampen the rod at all mm. uh, or overcome the rod. Um, that MPX line, it can carry pretty much anything and land it soft enough um, to where it's still not going to spook fish, uh, but at the same time, it can carry some weight if need be. Um, I use that, and being that my rod this particular rod i use the most is seven foot um scientific angler this year finally came out with a short uh, they're you know tapered leaders you buy but they're called the creek creek trout series what? and they're only, and own and tapered leaders that are only six foot long hmm. um i usually add you know about a six inches to a foot of tippet just to make it you know the length I try to keep it around the length of my rod, my my leader setup, leader tippet setup, but yep. uh, yeah, I just go with that. And um, I've got a I've got a little Hardy Marquee lightweight uh, white, reel that I've had on there forever. Um, I use that, and uh, and yeah, I mean there there's been there's been times where you know I've been out. Um, the one thing with the glass I like is there's been times where I've been out with that four weight and hooked into um, a nice small mouth or a nice large mouth. And with the glass, you know, you that's pretty much, that's nonstop tippet protection. So I don't have to worry about um, break-offs as much. Huh. if a feet. So Yeah. and But yeah, I think you'll, have you, have you ever cast that uh, TNT?
0: no right. i've never I, i've it's a four weight as well i got coming um i've
1: cast you'll really, friend, really like it I, a friend of mine in georgia had that exact rod in a four weight and uh he used he uses it for everything from like little mountain brook trout fishing to um smaller water for like the uh the red eye bass that we were talking about earlier the little native red eye bass um, but yeah, he, uh, he uses the rod for vent. It's a really sweet casting rod ride too.
0: Yeah. It reads really nice. I, I like it. I, I was interested to know the lines because of, um, you know, you, the, the style of fishing that you do, it seems to be, and I wonder if you'd agree with this, that, um, the glass rod seems to be a bit more forgiving for having less grains outside of the rod tip to be able to, um, you know, generate, generate a little bit of line speed. Whereas a graphite, you know, high modulus rod or a fast action rod. You know, you need you need all those grains out of the rod tip to start loading it well. You know, particularly yep. for things like uh, you know even if it's a micro, double. But your um, what do you call it, your hatch hatchling cray? Did you is that what you call hatchling craw? Did yeah. you say? Uh huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. I mean that that doesn't look like it's a, a a light fly either. You know, like I mean it's um it
1: you know more dark so, flies.
0: Yeah. So is that what you know? Like uh, is that the way you or or the reason you? I mean, you did talk about. It being quite cushioning for um you know, and uh for, for tip of protection. I'm sure it uh um I just wonder if that's that's the reason you you like it for that um for those delicate short casts and just just easy use. I guess that's why that's why I'm thinking of it for it. Um yeah, I mm-hmm. don't know. I'm I'm looking forward to it, but I just um I'm not sure I've got a heap of lines here. I just don't know how I'm gonna set it up but um, I'm just interested in what you do for your scenario. But is that is that the way you look at it? It's more forgiving for the grains that come out of the rod tip than than graphite
1: Yeah, it definitely is. Um, that's the thing and i've got man. I've got I've got i was just looking over here. I've got a It's funny if you were to look at my rod rack. I've got a uh, i've got a four and six weight addiction I've got one two three, I've got four glass four weights and i've got one two three four I've got, no, I've got three glass six weights and then <laughs> I've got seven, eight, nine, and 10 weights, um, one of each of those. But uh, yeah, the to me, glass too, um, and my friend in Arkansas, Dwayne, he was talking, me and him were talking about this. Um, glass, especially for, to me, for weighted flies, I like glass better because it almost works as like a, how do i explain it in a way it's like a springboard you don't get that that jolting if you've ever cast a heavy you know rabbit strip dumbbell off line, you get that you know that kick you get at the very end yeah um even on a good cast with glass i've noticed that you might get a little bit of that kick feel but it's it's dampened so much by the flex of that rod because, you know, it's, you know, a lot of these, a lot of the the tapers, a friend of mine, uh, his name is Chris Barclay, he, he actually, he's built pretty much all the rods that I have. He is a really good designer when it comes to tapers, and he works with a really good uh, 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 manufacturer. It's a guy that rolls the blanks for him. And they work really good together because Chris can be like, hey, I want a rod that, you know, I want a rod that does this well or does this well. And the guy can just roll up a blank and he puts, Chris builds it up and it's usually exactly what he's looking for. Um, it seems with with the glass, that's the thing is you get um, with, for me, with the warm water, the weighted stuff, um, you get more of a, it's not a harsh, abrupt kick. It's more, it's, you know, yeah, you've got to slow down when you go to glass, but to me, it's just a lot smoother. Um, uh, years ago, whenever I used to still have graphite rods, um, to be honest, one of the reasons why I quit, um, using graphite as much, and this is just me was, um, I had a, I had a, shoulder issue from football when i was younger and coincidentally that's why i quit bow hunting too is i had issues with my shoulder um bow hunting you know because i would shoot i wouldn't just hunt i would shoot you know tournaments you know 3d tournaments this and that oh, yeah? um yeah. and so so i had issue. nothing major i just you know i would have something it would become inflamed from time to time you know tendonitis, whatever um and i actually had that pop up fishing graphite and someone told me oh you should try glass i mean it, it dampens everything and uh, for whatever reason i've never you know i can think of one other instance where i had an issue with it at least only in it was only in my elbow but that you know I was fishing a 10 weight you know for extended period of time or casting one for extended period of time but uh other than that i I almost think that the glass is sort of dampens that you know it's gave me the ability to not have you know that issue anymore so Mm.
0: very interesting yeah right okay like uh i'm sure there's a lot of people including myself who can relate to injuries like that i um I'm um, the same. I've got a shoulder that that lets me know if I, my casting technique is not how I want it to be, which is um, which is lucky because if it was um, if it was niggling when the casting was correct, I wouldn't be fly fishing
1: anymore. <laughs> well, <laughs> so let me. I'm gonna, yeah, I forgot that you're you're actually a you're a casting instructor. Is that certified? Yeah, i my right? um, a CCI. Yep. Yeah. So um this might have to be after the podcast but i'd be interested to know like are there any stretches or exercise i've got the years ago i got those um there's a flash up here that sold these almost like the rubber donuts it's almost like a stress ball but it's a donut mm-hmm. and uh they're different uh, i don't know if i'm gonna call it tension or strength for you to you know just put in your hand and squeeze it almost like when you're getting Blood drawn or whatever. Um, yeah. they sell those to help with like tennis elbow, is what they call it. Um, oh. but yeah, I didn't know if. Uh, yeah, maybe if I'm always sort of seeking out more information about, um, you know, if that ever becomes an issue, uh, especially me getting older. <laughs> you, yeah. know? Um, you know how to how to take care of stuff like that.
0: You know, Brandon, I, I I should know something like that. I know all these techniques. I know all these drills. I've been a CCI since two thousand and seven, and I don't know any stretches. <laughs> I well, really don't. Um, that's how, that's about. You know. Be pardon.
1: I said it might just be something that you know a lot of people don't talk about. Um, yeah. You know, or don't consider.
0: Yeah, I've um, you know, I'm I'm pretty bad. I don't I don't warm up at all. I'll um. You know, I, uh, I mean, I, I, I mean, I got a, uh, my style of casting, the style that I teach is what some people consider to be sort of salt water, I guess you could say. Um, in that, you know, I'll, um, I'll extend my cast back, which enables me to sort of, um, you know, I have to sort of turn my body to the side to make that happen. If I was squared to mm-hmm. my target that I was casting at, I find a lot of my, my, um, it's it, my body parts might being my shoulder and my elbow, um, even my hips to a degree, seem to be really fighting casting you know um Mm -hmm. um, whereas if I open my stance up by that I mean I put my the same foot as my casting arm back I could almost cast across my my torso a lot easier I can also use um my my core muscles I suppose to develop line speed to a degree as well you know Um, um hard to demonstrate over audio of course but um I find that if I go out of that straight line path that I create by opening up my body by that, I might stick my elbow out or I might stick it up. If I'm, if I'm casting and I want to, uh, you know, avoid something like it might be the boat cowl and, I, and I, I, I don't think about it. I might lift my arm up a little bit and mm-hmm. that way my shoulder goes out, my elbow goes out I've, I technically I'm actually creating an elliptical loop on that straight line path as well by doing that. But my shoulder, Really really starts to click and play up and it gets really sharp pains and that's obvious that that's probably unique to me I, I believe it's um, there's a part of your shoulder called a, 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 a Bursa, I believe it is like a soft pad yeah. under yeah And um, i've got some tears in that and that's what really plays up from that But that's just for me but um mm-hmm. But by doing that i'm actually displaying correct incorrect techniques So it's hard to sort of know there may not be sort of hard and fast rules for what to warm up because my style might might be different to yours and i know that um it's, it's probably not i mean you you have to generate line speed to cast those bugs that you you tie but someone who's who's throwing a, a number 22 dry fly doesn't need to cast like i do you know at all
1: you know yeah, yeah and that's that's the thing um you're talking about salt water like it's one thing i notice every year um after we come back from uh from going to the beach on our usual going up family uh, vacation down to the gulf and uh yeah after a week of uh of casting you know like uh, my eight weight and the and the constant wind and surf. um i'll be honest i come back home a really good caster you know once yeah. i get home and we don't have a lot of wind and we i'm not constantly fighting waves or this or that and it's it's surprising I'm like man the guys that fish the salt they they have to have it down pat you know to know i mean you know to to be successful um like, cuz it i can definitely there's always like a there's a few days the first few days we get there i'm usually frustrated because of my how my casting's going by day 3 or 4 i get the hang of it and then when we come home it's almost like i got a tune up you know uh, <laughs> i go back to, i go back to the you know places i fish i can hide from the wind if i need to you know it's like it's not yeah. a wind; there's is no issue so
0: yeah that that's that, you're right i mean I, I don't really give it that much thought i suppose because of where i live it's either it's either you know like uh blue water or um i fish a lot of lakes like i mentioned earlier in the show um so and sometimes the wind is is really good for fishing like i like there's some there's some fish like some of the lakes for example. Um, you know, like uh, there's no water movement in there. So the wind is your friend. It can congregate fish. It can congregate mm-hmm. oxygen or the warm water off the surface. It gets pushed into those bays, the micro f- food source, if you like, the, which feeds the bait fish, which feeds the predators. So, mm-hmm. you know, you want to be there on those days. Sometimes the calm days can spread the fish out, um, you know, using the wind, but you're not even thinking about it or fishing two people on a boat and having the wind on your casting arm. It's not so much, not a lot of stuff that I give, not, not something I give a lot of thought to these days. You know, I'll 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 comfortably go out in, you know, fifteen knots of, of wind easy. Twenty knots is definitely fair game as well. I'd prefer not to be out in anything more than that, but have done yeah. if I'm away or something. Um but yeah, no, it's um I guess it's horses for courses, I suppose. You you adapt to where you live and the and the flies okay. that you throw. Uh yeah, but um yeah, it's interesting. It really is. I I do lessons most weeks, um, uh you know like i only did one a couple of days ago for 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 another friend um down the park but they all bring a different style to it and everyone everyone's different you you can't really teach your hard and fast rules to everyone which which yep. I, I wonder if um i mean i always teach my style um i mean people know what they're getting when they come to me anyway so um but you know in, in relation to what what bugs they want to figure out and what 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 you know what issues they're having you know where they want to do the party trick of casting a full line or they want to be accurate it the, the physics are all the same but you know battling those elements is something that we have to deal with particularly for the part of the country or the world that i live in that's for sure
2: mm-hmm.
0: yeah, yeah. Okay. i actually struggle with streamcraft brandon like it's um i got a friend of mine who i know will be listening to this he's a he's a big fan of yours and he's he's used to be one of the co-hosts on this show called and, andy Bulch. um yeah uh, yeah, he's a glass rod aficionado like yourself. fishes a lot of streams like you. And when I go fishing with him, after you know, I fish lakes where I'll, I'll be, I'll be, I'll be covering water blind casting like a Dalberg on lily edges at 80 feet comfortably. Um, you yeah, know, just just whistling while I'm working, so to speak. And uh, or I'll be out fishing for tuna. You know, with um, you know, a meter, a meter and a half a swell, six, foot, you know, say I don't know, five foot of swell and a 15 knot breeze, and putting it like you know, chucking out as far as I can for tuna schools of tuna or something. And then I'll go fish with Andy. Uh, first time I fished with Andy for carp in the stream, it was, it was casts that were, I don't know, 10 feet <laughs> for, um, yeah. for tailing carp. And I was all, I was all thumbs, you know, it was, um, I found it really hard to like what you're saying. When you, um, when you go to the salt, it's quite frustrating when I go to streams. If I don't, um, yeah, if I don't, if I don't give it, if I don't give it a purposeful mindset of, of adjusting my casting, i really struggle you know and um which is a great sales to comedy for andy by the way if you're listening i know you're laughing at me mate
1: yeah yeah yeah, that's i mean but but even me fishing um small stream, you know the streams here i even i have an adjustment period when um my buddies north of me that they fish just uh you know tiny brook trout water um sometimes you don't i mean they're fishing you know two and three weights and a lot of times your leader or your fly line doesn't even come out the end of your rod it's just like you know your bow and arrow cast into uh, your leader into a pool ahead of you Um, always go through a big adjustment period there uh, at least the first full day because one the water's super tiny you're usually on your hands and knees trying to get to the pool I mean it's choked with you know uh, canopy um, and then once you get there uh, the the way the the way the trout eats I I have to change the way I set because how some people go to the salt and want to trout set and miss fish I you know i end up going trout fishing and i still have i just you know it's almost it's a strip set in a way or you know uh, some modified version of that we do not really quarters but i'm yanking the fly out of the trout's mouth because i'm doing what i do with bass at home
0: (laughs) yeah no it, it is the mark of a good angler that can like uh you can't i mean people talk about trout sets as being bad uh i'm as, as mentioned, I come like from, you know, I'm living in a, in a pretty saltwater dominant part of the country. Um, whereas I'm at a disadvantage for things like that. I can remember fishing for bonefish with a, a number eight, uh, SL 45, um, and strip setting with that. It's just not enough purchase in the hook to even get any flesh. You know, you're, um, you just rip yeah. the, rip the, rip the fly straight out. You've, you've got a strip set there for someone like myself. That's been strips, brought up strip set, strip set, strip set, everything, you know, like it's, um, it's a trout setting is a hard thing to do. You know, I, I'm oh. happy. Yeah. I find that really hard. I find it really hard to do. I do it with, um, bass, like uh, with top, top water as well. I see the eat. My instant reaction is pointing the rod arm, pull a line strip set. I've had that fly whizz because it's such a straight line. It whizzes straight back past you. You know, you think you're going to wear a hook or something, you know, might, you know, <laughs> it's, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's, I find it hard to do. It's funny. No one ever talks about it like that. I don't hear many people say that trout settings hard to do, but I'll put my hand up and say it. I think it, I think it, uh, I think it, (laughs) any day. What's that? Sorry.
1: I said, I would put my hand up any day and say that for myself.
0: Yeah. It's, um, you know, I think, I think it comes down to not so much trout set or, 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 um, or strip set. It's a matter of being mindful at the time of the eat to do the right thing. And I think that's, um, that's a hard thing to do. You know, it comes with experience and, and, and time. Um, yeah, yeah. It's just like, like being able to take that deep breath with sight fishing—that's probably the hardest part of sight fishing, in my opinion. That, 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 that composure before the cast. it's, the, it's the, You can learn everything else, you know, quite easily. What fly to tie, where to put it, all that sort of stuff. But um, being able to make that cast is, is one of the hardest things to learn.
1: Yes, it
0: is. Yeah, Brandon, I, I've got to respect your time here. I've got, I've got more things to talk about. But we could, I, I reckon, we could probably make a four-hour podcast. But perhaps one but day. Big pardon. I said, I bet we're good. <laughs> yeah. Perhaps one day, man, we might, might think of a more direct subject to come on and, and get you on again. If, if you'd like to. Um, but, Absolutely. but I think for today we might have to, um, uh, package this show up at, at two hours and seven minutes, I think. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, Brandon, I really appreciate you making the time. Um, just, just stay on the line for a sec. I want to talk to you about a couple of other things just before we go, but, um, um, but for now, mate, I really want to thank you for making the time and I hope the listeners got a lot out and I hope you enjoyed yourself.
1: Yeah. Thank you. And thank you for having me.
0: No problem at all.